Hi there. Welcome to episode one of Wooden Teeth. My name's Jake Williams, and let me just take a second to tell you a little bit about what this is all about. So I run this organization called Healthier Colorado. We're a nationally unique organization that advocates for health via public policy, and we use all the tools that are available politically to do that. Everything from running ballot measures to lobbying to weighing in on candidate elections. And unfortunately, we're the only organization in America that does those things. So in an effort to be less unique, we launched an effort that we've kind of codenamed the Democracy Health Project to spread our type of capacity around the country and create a movement. One of the things that we're doing within this project is launching this podcast called Wooden Teeth. You might be scratching your head a little bit about the name. You can go to the website to learn more about that. It's woodenteethshow.com. But I'll just say briefly that it's a reference to the myth about George Washington having wooden teeth. And so what it's really a reference to more broadly is the reality that a lot of myths get told in our society when it comes to health, when it comes to politics. And this podcast is largely going to be about truth-telling on health and on politics and making connections between how politics and policy affect your health. And our hope is that by having this conversation, we can build awareness and a stronger political movement to improve the health of Americans. So our first conversation is pretty germane to that point. Healthcare has become a huge issue in this election. And I had the chance to talk to the guy who's basically in charge of defending the ACA. The ACA, of course, is the Affordable Care Act. And the guy that I'm talking about is named Brad Woodhouse. He is the president of an organization called Protect Our Care, which is kind of like the organizing backbone of the effort to defend the ACA. You're probably familiar with it, but just in case, it was passed in 2010, and it's led to more people in America being covered by health insurance than ever. Um, However, the Republican-controlled Congress and the Trump administration have taken a bunch of steps recently to undermine the ACA from things like reducing the outreach budget and the period of time that people have to sign up for health care to effectively repealing the individual mandate. There's also a lawsuit that has been filed in Texas by a number of states that seeks to overturn a bunch of the insurance reforms instituted by the ACA. The Trump administration's Justice Department has filed a brief in support of this latest effort, and you're going to hear Brad talk about that lawsuit in a moment. So I had this conversation with Brad at Protect Our Care headquarters in Washington, D.C. You're going to hear an echo and some, some background noise. They're hard at work over there, and so I stole just a few moments with Brad to have the chat uh, apologize for the background noise, but it's to be understood. But actually, before we do that, I also want to remind you that we're in the thick of the open enrollment period, November 1st through December 15th. You can sign up for health coverage if you haven't already. Go to healthcare.gov to find out more. Okay, for real this time, let's talk to Brad.
Brad Woodhouse. Jake, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. You are president of Protect Our Care. Correct. What does that mean? Well, Protect Our Care is, is, uh, is an organization that I think Democrats and progressives would rather not have. I mean, it was, it was really, a, a, it came about after the 2016 election. I mean, when Trump was elected, uh, there was the immediate realization that, oh my gosh, they, they have the House, they have the Senate, they have the White House unexpectedly and depressingly. And they're going to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So Protect Our Care was created with, with the hope of, you know, putting it off as long as possible. And, you know, with the realization that it was very likely that, you know, with the House of Senate and the White House and using rules that would allow them to pass this in the Senate with only 50 votes, that they would eventually repeal the Affordable Care Act. So this was uh, an effort to hold on to it as long as possible and if they did, to make a political issue of it. But we've been vastly more successful than, than we anticipated. We have staved off the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. We've not been able to stop the Trump administration from all its efforts to sabotage it. But we've been successful in, in stopping legislative repeal. And we have made, along with our allies and along with our great uh, champions in, in Congress and on the campaign trail, We've made healthcare the number one issue in this election, and it is why uh, I believe Democrats will take back the House and will win a lot of races up and down the ballot. And th this is an issue in governor's races, an issue in House races, Senate races. It's an issue in races below that all across the country. Let's say that Democrats do take back the House. What's the list of things to do? Well, you know, the health care list is long and, and, and the unbridled, I think, enthusiasm and desire for health care policy is, is really big on the Democratic side. My, my view is, is that we should see what, uh, what type of majority we have in the House and whether or not we have the majority in the Senate. And of course, we're going to have a Republican president and, the, and realize that President Trump's not going to sign any bill to strengthen Obamacare, what he calls Obamacare derisively. So the things we need to do, uh, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue every policy that we support, but I, I would sequence it in first reversing the sabotage uh, that Republicans and the president have exacted uh, on the Affordable Care Act. So uh, that would be restoring for future open enrollments the funding uh, for open enrollment, uh, restoring and requiring uh, that they run ads to, to notify people of open enrollment, requiring that they send out grants uh, to groups to help enroll people, requiring that they uh, send out their own personnel uh, from HHS to help to help enroll people. You know, their sabotage of open enrollment is one of their most unpopular acts of sabotage uh, when you talk to voters. And it is potentially one of the most damaging. I mean, no one's talking about open enrollment, which starts in uh, two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and no one is talking about it. And this annual uh, open enrollment uh, to get people insured, to get them in the marketplace, is part of the glue that holds uh, the healthcare system together. So that's one. The other would be reversing other pieces of administrative sabotage. 
So reversing the rule that allows these junk insurance plans. Mm-hmm. And, and these are what were short-term plans under the Affordable Care Act where people transitioning could access plans for a few weeks or months that didn't comply with the ACA. Now they've extended these for a full year. 364 days was their two-cute-by-half way of, of calling them short-term. But people can renew these, and they, they pay for these, and then they find out that they don't cover anything. The deductibles are really high that they can charge anything almost for a person with pre-existing condition or they can deny coverage. They are junk plans. They are the very type of plans that insurance companies sold to high-risk individuals, which was the reason to pass the Affordable Care Act to begin with, was to get rid of the type of insurance that people were paying for, but they couldn't they couldn't rely on. So that would be uh, that would be another place to reverse sabotage. And then on the more prospective agenda, I think first up is uh, dealing with the high cost of prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the president has a former uh, pharmaceutical executive running uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. He's done nothing uh, to deal with the high cost of, uh, of prescription drugs. As Congress has done nothing. Republicans have done nothing. In our polling, it is the most popular policy element that, that the American public wants to see in reducing health care costs is reducing the cost of prescription drugs. So those would be my kind of first three that I would that I would focus on: reverse open enrollment sabotage, reverse junk plans, and do something on uh, prescription uh, drug costs. And then I think as we go down, uh, it, you know, we get further into the next Congress and we get closer to the election. I think we'll have a healthy discussion about expanding coverage. Some of that's going to take place in the presidential debate, but what people are most concerned about right now. Is, is less expanding coverage than making sure that the costs they're paying for both healthcare and prescription drugs are lower. I noticed one of the things you didn't mention um, is the individual mandate. And, of course, President Trump uh, and other Republicans in Congress have kind of claimed a victory, if you will, mm-hmm. in effectively repealing that. Yeah. Uh, how important is uh, the restoration of the mandate? Well, I, I, you know, we, we've always thought that that, that that was an important part of the of the Affordable Care Act. It, that is another piece of the glue, so to speak. Uh, and there is almost certainly going to be an effort when we take back the House, uh, which I'm confident we'll do, there'll be an effort to repeal the, the bill that passed that provided the tax cuts that included the provision um, uh, repealing uh, the individual mandate. So I, I think that that's definitely going to be <clears throat> going to be on the table. It could be a separate piece of health care uh, legislation, or it could go into a separate piece of healthcare legislation, or it could be in the bill to repeal uh, the massive tax cuts that they passed. The tax scam is what we call it. That included that provision, and that by the way is so unpopular that they're not even running on it. And and so I think that that would be where you'd make an effort to restore the individual mandate. All right, so we've got our list of things to do yeah. for a potentially democratically controlled House of Representatives. Um, that may occur uh, in this election. Looking ahead to 2020, mm-hmm. if you are a Democrat mm-hmm. running for president, can't you still run on a, a simple protect the ACA message? Or do you think candidates in this primary are going to have to promise a, a vision of something even better? Well, I think they're going to have to promise a vision of, of something better. Even, even the way we talk about it and the way Democrats have talked about it during the entirety of the Trump administration and in the context of the repeal fights has been 
that, that we want to not just maintain the Affordable Care Act, but we want to uh, we want to fix it and improve it. And there are definitely areas of, of any big law that can be improved. So continuing to address the cost situation and people still think that their premiums, uh, deductibles and co-pays are too high, addressing access and coverage, obviously, as I said, addressing prescription drug costs, which I think are uh, which I think are huge. Um, I think all of those things uh, should should be on the table. So it should not just be about uh, be about the status quo. So there's the interparty discussion, there's the Democratic primary and how they distinguish one another. But I think as it relates to Trump and Republicans, a healthy bit of the focus needs to be on what they have done and what they haven't done. They're the ones governing, they're the ones in power. I think Democrats too often get into 15 bullet point policy plans. We, we should talk about goals, objectives, and, and what the other side would do. I mean, what would happen to your health care if they stay in power? They'll, they'll continue to try to take it away. They'll continue to try to repeal the Affordable Care Act, repeal provision that protects people against discrimination based on pre-existing conditions. Go back to a time when, when women's health care is treated different than, you know, than men's. You have to prosecute a case, and this is what I we, we've been preaching for 2018, prosecute a case against the other side because they're in charge. Rhetorically, at least, it mm-hmm. seems that Republicans have conceded the point on pre-existing conditions. Is that a toehold or is that a mirage? It's a total mirage. I mean, they... You know, one of the big political gifts to Democrats was this summer when the Trump administration came out, sided with 20 Republican officials from 20 states in the lawsuit in Texas that would invalidate the Affordable Care Act. You know, we had the case that came through uh, that came through in 2012 uh, where Republicans were, were trying to get the Affordable Care Act declared unconstitutional. We won that. They're back at it again in Texas. Trump administration came in and, and said two big things. One that the Department of Justice would not defend the law. It's a federal law. Generally, uh, generally the, the Department of Justice would defend uh, federal law in, in court. They said they won't defend it. And then they went further. They said, if you don't find that the plaintiff's arguments are sufficient to invalidate the entire law, then the one part of the law that we really feel is unconstitutional is the part requiring insurance companies to, to cover people with pre-existing conditions. That is the most popular part of the law. It is one of the most necessary and important parts of the law. And the Trump administration could come in. If you keep everything else, get rid of that. And th- that reignited the health care debate. Remember, we had not had a legislative repeal fight in a year when the Trump administration made that decision and made that decision public. And it reignited the health care debate. And Republicans are running scared on healthcare right now. So I want you to think about the case you have in Missouri. Josh Hawley is the Republican candidate for the United States Senate. He is the Republican Attorney General of Missouri. He brought the lawsuit in Texas. He's one of the 20 officials that brought the lawsuit to invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act, including 
the protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Now he has an ad up showing his family, his son, who has a pre-existing condition, saying that he'll fight like hell to ensure that people who have pre-existing conditions are not discriminated uh, against in insurance. But he's in, a, he's in a lawsuit in Texas to invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act, including that provision. He is lying. He is dissembling. This is a very tough issue for Republicans. It's hurt them politically. The Trump administration uh, put an anvil around their necks on the issue of health care when they uh, when they made that announcement this summer. And now they're all running scared and they're trying they're trying to declare otherwise. There's nothing in any records of these Republicans, whether it's uh, Leah Vukmir, who's the Republican candidate in Wisconsin running against Tammy Baldwin, or Patrick Morrissey, the Republican candidate running for the Senate in West Virginia, is also an attorney general, also brought uh, the lawsuit uh, in Texas. There's nothing in any of their records to suggest that they really want to protect people uh, from high costs or, or, or denial of coverage based on pre-existing conditions, other than they're asserting it in a political environment where their previous position is hurting them. It's pure political desperation. When the ACA was passed, there was essentially a bargain with insurance companies. They got uh, a greater market via the individual mandate. And in exchange, they were compelled to do things, including offering plans that had minimum levels of benefits that were robust, as well as things like uh, medical loss ratio, which mm-hmm. uh, mandates that a certain amount, uh, a certain proportion of the money they take in has to be spent on medical care. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, health systems and pharma effectively didn't have to uh, make many concessions um, in exchange for what became a, a greater market of purchasers. And now, while the rising cost of healthcare has been um, somewhat moderated, overall, we continue to see spikes in the cost of care. How much of a threat is that to the future of the ACA and to the future of universal coverage, uh, rather universal access generally? I think it's I think it's a big threat. I think it's something that we have to address, uh, and that Democrats have to address uh, head on. If we believe that the that the Affordable Care Act is moving us in the right direction to lower costs, greater access, greater coverage, we have to be willing to admit where uh, where it falls short. Um, it's done a lot on coverage particularly Medicaid expansion, particularly uh, what we've done with children be able to be on their policies until, you know, until, until age 26. I think Democrats should really redouble their efforts on Medicaid expansion everywhere in this, in this country. We're making it a political issue in a bunch of places this year. But cost of prescription drugs and cost of coverage generally is the number one issue on the minds of voters is health care costs. And we've got to be willing to address that. And, and so we, we, we can't just argue that the status quo is great because we're covering millions of more people and we've bent the cost curve some. We've got to do more. How important do you think it is, both politically and from a policy perspective, that uh, public option uh, is added to the list of options offered to consumers? Well, I, I, I think it has to be part of the... Uh, I think it has to be part of the debate. I mean, look, all of that's going to be part of part of the debate. Uh, public option, 
Medicare for all, uh, so-called single payer. Uh, I, I do think in what we've seen in in our polling, talking from a political perspective more than a policy perspective, is that Americans don't want big radical change, right? They want a lower cost. They're, they're, they're generally less concerned about coverage if they have it. Um, but they're really concerned more about cost, but they don't want to see major changes. So they don't, they're not interested in, in a, in a major change to something like single payer. They're, they're even far less interested in full repeal and starting over. So that's kind of where you start with where, where the American, uh, where the American public is. And, and, and that doesn't mean that we have to settle for that. I mean, we obviously want to, you know, have a, a system of, uh, of greater access, greater, uh, greater, greater coverage. So even if the American people aren't really looking for that, we know that that's the direction we need to go. But how we get there is what this debate is going to be about. I mean, I personally think, and I've I've talked to some people, policy people, that said, you know, the public option is somehow somehow unworkable. I think we should have had a public option. I believe one of the mistakes we made was uh, since we had to use reconciliation to finish the passage. We should have added the public option then, but it certainly should be part of the debate, um, part of the debate now. I know that there were people back then that were like, well, they're going to, you know, if we have a public option, they're going to accuse us of government takeover of health care. Well, they did anyway. They did anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, you know. mentioned single payer. Do you think that single payer is more likely if the ACA succeeds or if the ACA fails? I think it's I think it's more likely if the uh, ACA succeeds. We're not going to arrive at uh, a, a single payer Medicare for all system overnight. I just I don't believe the political will is there among our elected officials or the public. You, you don't get a majority of of voters who want a single payer system, you get a bare majority when it's described as Medicare, you know, as Medicare for all. And so, I, I think that the more that we protect and expand and show that the Affordable Care Act works, that HHS and the, the states can administer it, and they can expand Medicaid and they can expand coverage, and maybe one way of getting closer to a Medicare for all or a single payer option is to adopt a public option, so you move more people. Uh, into that into that kind of system, and I've heard Nancy Pelosi say this, I and, and others on the Hill that if if Republicans are successful in trashing trashing the ACA, it, it doesn't stand to reason that all of a sudden we're going to have you know we're going to have single payer, it, it, you know, because what will, the wreckage of that will be that the, the government and the Congress cannot fix the healthcare system, so there won't be political will to to do more than the Affordable Care Act did, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I th- and our polling kind of shows that. Uh, switching topics for yeah. a moment. Um, where does one acquire an accent like yours, which is lovely, by the way? <laughs> uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you even noticed. I've I've lost a lot of it. Uh, Raleigh. I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh huh. So. And how'd you get started in politics and policy? Well, I mean, that's a long story. I mean, my I was really I think born into it. My parents were both uh, very involved in. Uh, in, in politics, they both worked uh, worked on a campaign together back in nineteen in nineteen sixty. They both worked in government and you know in politics for for really the balance of, balance of their lives, and they had a great interest in it. So 
I went to University of South Carolina. I started out as a theater major. I wound up being a political science major. I didn't go into it immediately after, you know, after college. I, I was actually working for uh, for Marriott in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, I, I turned on the TV one night, and Bill Clinton was accepting the nomination to be the Democratic nominee for president in 1992. I watched his speech. I quit the next day and came back to North Carolina and volunteered on a campaign. I don't want to ascribe too much to his speech, but I mean, it was just like, what am I doing down here? Why am I working for corporate America when politics is in my blood? It was in my, my parents' blood. And so I moved back, uh, moved back to North Carolina and volunteered, um, uh, volunteered for a political campaign and the rest is history. And did you have an interest in health specifically earlier? That no, could come later. No, no, no. I mean, I, I was, I was more interested in the political, yeah. you know, in the political side and, and probably still more of more of a political person than a um, than a than a health person. And starting around 2007, I was very involved in uh, in the kind of organizing the healthcare infrastructure that that was intending to make uh, expanding coverage, universal coverage, uh, an issue in the 2008 presidential campaign. Out of that was created an organization called HCAN, Healthcare for America Now. Um, which was a big player uh, on on the outside. By the time Obama was in office, I was on the inside. I was at the DNC as communications director, and we ran a campaign through the state parties, which was really designed to increase Democratic enthusiasm for for healthcare uh, reform more than it was to you know to convince convince Republicans. But we you know we ran a campaign from the DNC to try to help get the ACA passed, and then um, you know I've been involved in. One way or the other, uh, in in healthcare, every since you know that was a continuing uh, effort at the DNC during the reelect. Of course, uh, healthcare was big. You know, Obama came out and which I thought was great. Came out in 2012 and said, "Hell yeah, let's call it Obamacare." Mm-hmm. Of course, I care, and of course, I want people to have have healthcare. And you know, 2010 was hard on Democrats on the Affordable Care Act. 2014 was a tough midterm, but some candidates I just think they they didn't think they could. Embrace it. You know, they thought that Obamacare was going to be President Obama's losing issue in 2012. He embraced it. He ran on it. He went to Romney and held him accountable for for him flip flopping on the issue of health care because he adopted a very similar uh, law in Massachusetts when he was governor. And, you know, I think he, he really showed and people didn't really follow in 2014 that if you voted for it, if you believe in it, you got to embrace it. And and. Um, and then on after uh, the 2012 election, I went back to running an organization I run before, Americans United for Change, that was involved in the political back and forth between our side and the Koch brothers over the first open enrollment. So we we went all across the country telling people to, you know, ignore America's prosperity and all their attacks on the Affordable Care Act. Go enroll, go sign up. So I've just been doing this, you know, on and off for the past 11 years or so. As someone who's experienced in politics and as a Democrat from the South, I'm sure you recognize that when it comes to Democrats in Congress, there's sometimes a, a wide range of ideological views yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, on different issues. And so when it comes to the ACA, are Democrats united? Are they holding the line or is there you know, a variance of opinion that you I, have to consider? Well, you know, unfortunately, we, we, we've had fewer and fewer Democrats from the, from the South and say from, even from my home state of North Carolina which we hope to reverse some this year. I, 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 you know, no Democrat in the House or the Senate voted 
for the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Um, so I think we, you know, I think people recognize now, one, it's a lot more popular. You know, I think people, when it dawned on people that it was working for them, that they had gotten expanded coverage, that they had these guaranteed benefits, maybe they'd gotten coverage through Medicaid expansion in the state, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was the real potential for it to go away, and things turned. And, you know, Democrats started hearing, I think, from more people about their concern about the Affordable Care Act going away than had probably called and advocated for it when we were trying to pass it. It's it's a weird situation. Opposition to something the other side is is doing, it, it always seems more galvanizing than when you're on the proponent side. I think the ideological divide now among Democrats, which I don't think is as vast as some people hold it up to be, is it's not about whether or not we should have the Affordable Care Act or not. It's about whether or not we should have have and improve the Affordable Care Act or go to another system of uh, Medicare for all or single payer. Some might, might see it as moderate versus liberal. I think it's more politically pragmatic versus idealistic. I mean, you only have a bare majority of Democrats supporting single payer. It's going to be hard to ditch the entire employer-based system and get to there uh, until until there's more support, it, it, even on our side, much less uh, among the among the general public. I, I appreciate the time you spent. Before we go, yeah. Um, can you let folks know when open enrollment is and what they can do to get signed up? Well, sure. I mean, open enrollment starts November 1st. It extends through December 15th. You know, that in itself uh, is a big change from uh, the practice during the Obama years. Um, that's uh, 45 days of open enrollment. We, we had 90 days, um, always three months of open enrollment. Uh, so that's another place where they have made it harder for people. And this is particularly a difficult time because everyone's focus right now is more on the political debate and on the, and on the midterms. And you're going to have, you know, open enrollment start during the last week of, uh, of the election and it's going to be overshadowed. But people have until until December 15th. And even though this administration and this Department of Health and Human Services are not doing what they should be doing to help people enroll, that's the place to go is to hhs.gov and uh, find the link to open enrollment and, and go through the process there. Brad Woodhouse, president of Protect Our Care. Thanks for the chat. Great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, there it is. Episode one of Wooden Teeth. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please subscribe. And while you're there, give us a nice rating. It'll help us get the word out about this fledgling podcast. Also, any feedback you have, bring it. You can go to woodenteeshow.com and contact us there. You can also DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open. My handle is at this JW. Until next time, see ya.